Hey everybody, this is AJ, the Media and Creative Director for Lifehouse Church. We are so glad you're checking out our most recent message, and we hope it encourages you, challenges you, and most of all, inspires you to go show the world they are loved and highly valued. Enjoy the message. So in 1976, I was negative nine years old. Some of y'all feeling really old right now. Um, I was not, I was negative nine years old. It wasn't nine, I was negative nine. And a man by the name of Ronald Wayne, not Ronald McDonald, Ronald Wayne joined two relatively unknown people of the time, one named Steve Jobs and another named Steve Wozniak, and they formed what we know today as the Apple Company. Um, Apple, Apple. And app, oh, Apple, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I practically do have stock in Apple. I, um, I'm very thankful for Apple. There's some things that I don't like about them, but their technology does make my life easier, albeit sometimes I wish that I could just throw my phone away and never find it again. That's good stuff right there. And some of y'all would text me, and you'd be like, why are you ignoring me, Pastor Drew? And I would tell you, I don't want to talk to you. Anyway, um, I'm just kidding. I do want to talk to you. Just anyway, anyway, I got I to gotta recover real quickly from this. So Ronald Wayne, Steve Jobs, and Steve Wozniak form Apple. Jobs and Wozniak were in their early 20s, and the idea is that Jobs was the culture guy. Steve Jobs was the culture guy. Steve Wozniak was a technology guy, but Ronald Wayne, who was a little bit older than them, was the business guy. He was already an established businessman. He, um, and so the idea is that the three of them would form a, a really good leadership for this company, one focusing on culture, one on the technology, and one on the business aspect of it. The thing is, 12 days after signing the contract and, and forming the Apple company, Ronald Wayne, who was relatively more mature than the other two, began to have second thoughts because he didn't like the idea of his money being invested with two relatively unknown people who were relative to him, younger and immature. And so he said, you know what, this is probably not the best idea, of, of the best way for me to spend my time and the best way for me to spend my money. So he contacted Jobs and Wozniak and he said, hey... I, I would like to sell back to you my 10% stake in Apple and remove myself from the deal, from the company. And so uh, 12 days after signing the contract, uh, Ronald Wayne sold his 10% stake in Apple back to Jobs and Wozniak for all of That's like what I paid for this. Maybe more. I'm ashamed of it. I shouldn't say that. I looked this up. I'd actually heard this on social media, but I wanted to fact check this. No fake news from this pulpit. That stock today would be worth over $100 billion. Don't you think old Ronald Wayne has some regrets? Now, they interviewed him a few years ago, and, and they asked him, they're like, bro, how stupid do you feel? Like, that's my interpretation of what they said. And he said, you know, he's like, I, obviously, I, I kind of wish I could go back in time and change that. He said, but that's not the decision that I made that I actually regret the most. Obviously, it was the most consequential decision that I made that, that I wish I could go back and change. He said, but, but actually, the decision that I made that I regret the most is in 1990, I took the actual contract where they had signed the paperwork forming Apple. He said, I took the actual contract and I sold it to a collector for $500, which sold for auction in 2011 for $1.59 million. He said, that's the decision that I actually regret the most because it was just a piece of paper that I had that I sold because some guy offered me $500 for it and I didn't know any better. And then in auction in 2011, it sells for 
million dollars. So let me ask you, Lifehouse family, Lifehouse in your house, joining us online, do you have any regrets? No regrets, no, not even one letter, right? You know, I've even talked about this from this stage before, but I hear people say a lot of times, you know, if I could go back and change anything, I, I wouldn't even change a thing. Because... Those, those bad decisions, they made me who I am today. And I just want to go on record and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I would go back and I would change a lot of the mean things that I've said to people. I would, do, I would try to undo some harm that I've done in my life when I was angry and I spoke out of anger instead of out of love. I would go back in time and let me just be honest, I would spend a lot more time in my early pre-parenting years before my life and decisions were made for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would take so much more advantage of all that free time. When somebody without kids talks to me about how busy and tired they are, it is all I can do to not hit them in the face. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm looking at you back there. I see you. <laughs> You don't even know what you don't know until you know what you didn't know, right? I'd go back. I changed a lot of things in my life. Now, I, I'm very happy with where I'm at, um, you know, but I, I could have more in savings. I could, I could have less in other things. <laughs> I would have eaten less Oreos, although I do love Oreos. I would, have, I would eat less of them if I could, if I could go back. So do you have any regrets? Things that you said or did that you wish you could take back? Or maybe, what about things that you didn't do or didn't say that you wish you could go back and do or say those things? Uh, Researchers, when they interview people, they actually say that the strongest forms of regret are not the things that people did or said, it's the things that they wish they would have done or wish they would have said that seem to be the strongest forms of regret. The worst regrets that you could ever have though for now and eternity will revolve around what you have done with Jesus I'm going to say it again the greatest regrets that you could possibly ever have for now and for eternity will revolve around what you did with Jesus did you follow Jesus Like, actually follow Jesus. Because here in the Bible Belt of the South, there are Christians everywhere. But I have come to discover that there are actually very few followers of Jesus. There's Christians all over the place. But to follow Jesus, you actually have to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, go where Jesus would go and do what Jesus would do. Calling uh, Calling myself a Christian... It makes me no more a Jesus follower than me wearing a shirt that says U.S. Army and making me a soldier. There's a lot of men and women. They're good people. And they call themselves Christians, but do they actually follow Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you follow him or did you leave him? Did Did you share him? Or were you selfish with him? Did you share the good news of Jesus with your life and your actions and your words? Or did you sit on it because the good news wasn't good enough to actually share to people outside of your own social circle? We used to compare, when I was in youth ministry, we would talk about evangelism, we would talk about sharing our faith. And we would, you know, we'd say, you know, if I had the cure for a deadly disease and I could give it away to anybody who wanted it and who needed it, but instead of doing so, I choose to keep I chose to keep it to myself, what would you call that kind of a person? It'd be a horrible human, right? It'd be I mean, despicable human. Yet there are men and women who have been introduced to the life 
life-changing, life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, yet we hold on to it when there are people around us each and every day whose life could be positively impacted, not just for this life, but for eternity. Yet we are so selfish, and I'm talking to myself, and I know I kind of went from one extreme to the other, making you laugh. Now I'm kind of knocking you upside the head with the truth, right? But we need to hear this today. We are selfish with this news of Jesus. So when there will be a day when you will stand and I will stand and we will stand, not together, but as individuals before God Almighty and he will ask us in one way or another, what did you do with Jesus? And can I just tell you a hard truth? You cannot truthfully call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't also share Jesus. You're just one of those people wearing the shirt, but you ain't a soldier. You guys okay? The title of my sermon today is Don't Wish You Had. It's not a complete sentence, but I don't care. This is my sermon. I'll preach it how I want to. Don't wish you had. Don't allow yourself to get to a place in your life where you'll look back and wish you had. 1 Peter 4, 7, he starts with this very seemingly bleak sentence. But there's so much hope in this sentence. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Now, in the era of the apostles... Paul and Peter specifically write a lot about this. John and James do a little bit. They believe wholeheartedly that Jesus would return in their lifetime. John probably had the greatest reason to believe that. Uh, and I can't really unpack that a whole lot. But he was actually told by Jesus that, you know, heaven and earth will not pass away until you Know who until you see me return in clouds of glory, but which we actually interpret today to understand that that was Jesus telling John, You're going to write the book of Revelation. And can I just say, it, it's just one revelation, it's not revelations, it's just one, just, just so you know. Um, they believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime, so they lived each and every day with a very real sense of urgency. Now, we can take this, this one sentence, and he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Now, I don't know when Jesus is going to return in clouds of glory. I know that he will one day. He may do it in my lifetime. He may do it a thousand years from now. It is not for me to try to predict or put dates on that. And for me, anybody who starts trying to date that stuff is automatically disqualified themselves as a credible Bible teacher. If I offended you, I don't care. He said himself, not even the Son of Man knows when it's going to happen. So any preacher who claims to know is just making stuff up to sell books. You guys okay? So I don't know. It could be today. It could be before this time of gathering is over. It could be in a hundred years. It could be a thousand years from now. I don't know when. Two thousand years ago, they believed he was going to come back right then in their lifetime. But what I do know is that the world will end. And what I also know is that one day this life for me will end. And this life for you will end. And so what Peter is, is encouraging us to do is for us to live each day as it is our last. Because one day, the day that you're living will be your last. Very few people that I know of that have passed away suddenly expected it to happen when it happened. James says it like this. He says, your life is but a mist or a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It, 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 it appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Anybody ever use Febreze in their house? Some of y'all need to. This is, I'm not shooting guns, I'm shooting Febreze. And you spray it and you see it and then it disappears. What James is saying, in the scope of eternity, that's all your life is. It's here, 
It changes the scent of the world a little bit. It has a very small impact, but eventually it vanishes, and it honestly, it doesn't even leave a trace that it ever was here. Peter says the end of the world is coming soon. And in light of eternity, let's just be honest, and I don't want to be morbid, and I don't want to be discouraging. I hope today when you leave that you are encouraged, but we have to face reality. There will come a day when you will cease to exist. And don't wish you had done things differently than you are doing them. He goes on, he says, Therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be consistent in your prayer life. Think about those of you who pray. And, And let me ask you this. Do you pray? Do you pray? Jesus said to pray like this. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees who want to be seen. He says, you go in your room and you talk to your father in private. Now, a lot of us think that what he's really talking about is that we shouldn't pray publicly. That's not true. What he's saying is that there should be a time in the day, every single day, where you have a standing appointment with your heavenly father that you spend time with him. So do you pray? And if you don't pray, you need to start praying. And then I want to ask you, what do you pray about? If you're like me, you probably pray a lot of selfish prayers. If you're not like me, that's good. Proud of you. You know, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, when you pray, it will be done for you. And I've thought a lot about that. What does it mean to uh, to pray in the name of Jesus, right? Well... It doesn't mean that we just end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. Because how many of you have prayed for something and thought to yourself, if I ask for anything in Jesus' name, Jesus said it will happen. So, you know, when I pray, I pray for things like Lamborghinis and, and, and the new Ford Bronco with the four-door version. I don't want the two-door version. I got a family. I need the four-door version. You know, with the, with the Sasquatch package. I may or may not have looked at them online. There's wind rock right over there. I'm just thinking it'd be a great idea. Or maybe for a boat because there's all these streams and rivers around here and Lord knows those fish need catching, amen? <laughs> or maybe, maybe you're really um, short. I don't know who would do this. And Lord, please help me grow a little bit. I know I'm 36, <laughs> but I, there's got to be another inch in there, right? <laughs> My wife's six foot tall. Lord, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know who would pray that prayer, but I know somebody would. When we were youth pastor, and we'd been, there was this girl who'd been in our youth group for two years, and one day me and Kristen are standing on the stage next to each other, in the middle of my sermon, she goes, oh, she's taller than you. Been going to church for two years with us, first time she ever noticed it. Honestly, I was thankful. I thought maybe everybody else doesn't notice either. It, when you pray in Jesus' name, though, what you're essentially doing is that you are, you are, Asking the Lord to help me to pray what you would pray. Help me to pray what you would pray, Jesus. Help me to pray prayers of eternal consequence. Help me to pray prayers that are bigger than myself and my life and my own conditions. Help me to pray prayers that Jesus, that you yourself would pray. He goes on in verse 8. He says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. There will come a day when the last conversation you have with somebody will be the last conversation you will ever have with that person. So make showing love a priority in your life every single day. And he says in verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve, to use them well to serve one another. In other words, everything good that you have is a gift from God to be used to show others the love of God. Invest your gifts well. Steward them well. In verse 11, I'm just recapping this. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do. Say that word, everything. How much is everything? It's everything, right? 
He says, everything you do, if you do this, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All power, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. In other words, make everything about Jesus. Everything he's given me, everything he's done for me is for my enjoyment, but it is for his glory. And why is this difficult? It's difficult because sin makes us selfish. But God, when he makes us new again, he wants to destroy selfishness and make us selfless. He wants to make us like Jesus, who was selfless enough to lay down divinity, pick up humanity, die in the place of a sinner so that you and I could be brought to new life by the power of his blood and resurrection. Amen. Amen, right? Now, Peter sounds really smart right here. Peter sounds like an old man who has lived a lot of life and knows what he's talking about. But he wasn't always so smart and so wise. If you were to go back, and you can flip in your Bible, we'll read there in a minute. You go back to Matthew chapter 16. And there's this moment, I'm going to move this because I want to talk to you without this in front of me. And I won't. Anyway, I say things out loud that I really should just say in my head sometimes. It's just part of being me. Matthew 16 Jesus starts asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Like, what are people saying about me? And, and they say, well, some of, some of them say that you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some say that you're the prophet Jeremiah, not necessarily reincarnated, but that maybe you have the same anointing on you that Jeremiah had or Elijah, someone like that. And, and Jesus asked them really the most important question that he could ever ask of anyone, including ourselves. He says, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, the Bible says, being full of the Holy Spirit, spoke up and he said, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Anointed One. And Jesus says, flesh and blood, Peter, has not revealed this truth to you, but my Father in heaven has showed you who I really am. Now here's the thing. If you, if you know a little bit about Old and New Testament theology, you understand that they were waiting on the Messiah. However, our understanding of the Messiah 2,000 years removed from the time that Jesus walked the earth is much better rounded than the first century disciples' understanding of the term Messiah. If you lived in first century Israel or Judea, you would be under Roman occupation and you would be praying very routinely for God to send his anointed one to reestablish the throne of David, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, Israel to overrule and to overcome and to kick out the Roman occupation and to restore the dignity that Israel once had under the reign of David and Solomon. That for them was their Messiah. So Jesus shows up not as a conquering king but a suffering servant, right? And so Peter gets this revelation of who Jesus really is. So Peter is not thinking to himself, self, uh, Jesus is going to die for my sins. He's thinking to himself, self, I get to be part of the, the elite soldier group that's going to raise up an army to, to push the Romans out. You guys with me so far? Yes. Everybody raise your hands like this and just shake them. I just need to make sure y'all are awake. I saw some of you. You're not, I see you. I see you. You're good. You're good. I watch you. Appreciate you. I won't call your name out. Christian. I was just talking about being a Christian. You're not name only, right? So Peter gets this revelation of who Jesus is. And then Jesus, like, and we don't know exactly when it happened. It probably wasn't right after that moment. But in our Bibles, it is, right? It just, it just there's, there's, not, there's not any space between this. Historically, there probably was. But at some point in time, after Peter receives this revelation of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus begins to start teaching them and showing them there's going to come a time when I'm going to be betrayed, that the rulers in Jerusalem, they're going to, they're going to arrest me, they're going to capture me, and they're going to kill me. And he would even tell them. He said, but don't worry, on the third day I'm going to rise again. However, they never got that part. They just totally thought, he's nuts. Okay, we can't listen to him all the time. We can only listen to him some of the time. Man, we do that, right? The things that he makes make sense to us, we're all on board with that. 
But when he starts talking in ways to us that don't, that don't make sense with us, we're like, ah, I don't really think that's God. God wouldn't tell me to do that. He might. He probably did. Anyway, and so Peter, because, you know, he's Peter, he, he takes Jesus to the side and he says, Jesus, you're acting crazy. This is, these are my words, but I'm pretty sure this is how it happened. I've seen a few movies. I've seen a few TV episodes where they've like went through this event. So I think I know. <laughs> Jesus, you're crazy. You're starting to worry the rest of them. Like you can't die. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. It's, it's time to get rid of the Romans. It's time to reestablish the kingdom. And Jesus looks at Peter and, and he says, every time I pass Christopher Cream, I say this, get thee behind me, Satan. That's what he says to Peter. He said, because you desire the things of man, not the things of God. And this is where I want to pick up with G, uh, Peter, or excuse me, Jesus then says in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way or you must give up your own life, deny your life, take up your cross and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you will give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. And he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? In other words, so many of us, so many of you, we are, we are living it up in this life, but we are setting up our eternity to be less than what it could be. Does that make sense? I think that if we could fast forward to when eternity was realized for us, we would live this life so differently, right? It's like how many of us wish we could go back to when we were younger and, and know then what we know now, right? Well, if we could know now what we will know then, I want to tell you, man, it would so impact our everyday life and we would handle the gospel of Jesus so differently, I believe. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can make the decision right now to give up our own way. In other words, to trade in my preferences for your preferences. I can take up my cross. I can exchange my plans for your purposes. And I can follow Jesus. I can go where he goes. I can do what he does. I can say what he would have me say. In other words, I could stop surviving this life and start investing in the next life. Come on, y'all better get happy with me. About to make me mad. You don't want me mad now. I'm little, but I'm, I'm feisty. Stop surviving. Start investing. This last year, there's a good King James word for it. It sucked. You know, King James has words in it that we just can't say every day. So I'm, I'm just assuming that's one of them. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church again. <laughs> Who is this guy? It's been hard for churches. It's, I mean, it's been hard for everybody. So, and it's taken me a little bit of time to process this but, but I, I'm, I'm figuring out, so, so when we get into difficult seasons, whether we're talking about individuals, businesses, churches, whatever, we become very inwardly focused. We, we, we switch on survival mode, right? We start thinking about ourselves because it's very important for us to protect ourselves. And even as a church, it is easy for the church, not just this church, but the church, uh, when facing times of trial and crisis to become very inwardly focused and self-preservation focused. How many of you know that the gospel of Jesus calls us to self-sacrifice, not self-preservation? Amen? Amen? But it is our natural inclination when trials come. It, it, and, but that is the opposite of what God wants for us, whether we're talking about us as individuals or us as a church. And so here at LifeHouse, if you're new or if you've been going here since before I came, here it is. Our mission... The reason why this church exists is to show the world 
that they are loved and highly valued. Now, honestly, there was no meeting that we ever had with the leadership of the church and we fleshed out a mission statement. Three plus years ago, I preached a random sermon one day and I told the church, you were loved and highly valued and it caught fire. Because, and this is what we come to learn and this is what I have and am continuing to learn is that if it, the problem with the world, now, if I asked you, what's wrong with the world? I mean, like, man, we could fill up Twitter with that, right? I mean, we, we, could, we could take over, we could, like, burn Microsoft Word up. We would type so many different things that were wrong with the world. And some of you might say, oh, it's the, it's the politicians. They're what's wrong with the world. It's the, it's the government. It's this. It's the, it's the education system. It's, it's, it's the price of gas. It's, it's foreign relations. It's, it's walls or no walls. It's, it's, it's vaccines or no vaccines. It's, it's, it's masks or no masks. I'm getting real. I'm not playing games today. I ain't come to patty cake church. I came to have real church, okay? I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to help you become who God wants you to be. So we, we could go through all that stuff, and if we started polling people, everybody in this room would have different opinions. And you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody gives a rip what your opinions are. They're as worthless as, as, as I don't know, there's not worth a lot. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything sanctified to say to follow that up. But here's the real problem with the world. And if you're part of this church, you need to know this. And if you're not part of this church, you need to be part of this church because we really want to make a difference. The problem with the world is not that they don't love God. It's that they don't know and they don't realize how loved by God that they are. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Why aren't you clapping and hooting and hollering? John says it in 1 John 4, 19. He said, we love because he first loved us. And how will the world know that they are loved if we don't show them? Now you notice our mission statement isn't that we exist to tell the world that they're loved and highly valued. No, we want to show them. That means with our words and our actions. That means with our social media posts. Oh, that's good right there. And with how we talk to people while we're driving down the road even when they can't hear us. Talking to you, Summer. There's a story there. We had a conversation. She's actually an okay person. I'm just making fun of her. Just okay. Our mission, our goal, and I hope your goal and your mission is to show the world. Show, show your neighbor. Show your coworkers. Show the people that you are in classes with. Show the people that, that are you know, waiting on you at a restaurant that they're loved and highly valued. Listen, you showing a server that they're loved and highly valued is so much more important than you getting a refill in your Coke. Don't be a jerk. Ah, oh, say la. So how do we do this? Well, number one, we help people know God. Number two, we help people receive freedom. Number three, we help people discover purpose. Number four, we help people make a difference. First of all, we want you to know God. Know that God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He's mad for you. Amen. Secondly, we want you to receive freedom. Listen, you ain't perfect. You got issues. I got so many issues, my issues got issues. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is I don't have to be perfect to come to him. I just have to get up and go. The gospel is the tool for transformation, right? Yeah. Grace. I don't get grace because I'm good. I, I get grace because he helps, me, helps make me good, right? So listen, I don't care if you, you're addicted to something. I don't care if your life's a mess, if you've, if you've been divorced, or if, you, if you've got thoughts that you shouldn't have, if, you, if you've been looking at pornography, if you've been doing things you shouldn't be doing. I don't care. I want you here. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you no matter what you bring to the table. I want to be a church like legit, and we kind of are. I know some of y'all. Just messed up people serving a really good God, right? And the only way you can receive freedom is in a community where you can be real with people and be real with God. 
He doesn't want fake you. He wants you. We want people to receive free. We want to discover purpose to know that you are not a mistake, that you are created on purpose and for purpose. And to make a difference. Brooke Martin, uh, she preached here a few weeks ago. Mercy Valve, remember, I loved how she said, you know, the world needs you because there is no plan B. There isn't. There is no alternative. You and I are it. We are Jesus incarnate in this world. Honestly, today, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about what brought me to this platform and what brought me to this place in my life. And me standing here today is the direct result of men and women who allowed themselves to be used by God, whether they knew it or not, to make a difference in my life. Some of them were pastors, some of them were Sunday school teachers, some of them were high school teachers, one was a grocery store manager, another was a small business owner, and another was a shoe salesman. Living life, loving people, sharing the good news of Jesus. And God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of others. So I implore you today, stop surviving and start investing in eternity. I mean, we exist primarily for the benefit of not yet members, right? But it's so easy for us to think that we exist for us. But if what we do in here doesn't overflow out there, then there's no point of us meeting here. That's no point. So I'm going to be Pastor Drew for a moment. I'm going to talk to you very plainly and very real. What can you do today? Number one, show up. Be here. Don't go to the lake. Don't go play golf. Don't go fishing. I'm not saying you can't do those things. But as a general rule of thumb, be part of what God is doing here. Because people need people. We are the body of Christ. Now listen, I learned a couple of weeks ago, you can live without a gallbladder. (laughs) Apparently that's not a very important member of the body of Christ. (laughs) Can I just tell you, ain't none of y'all gallbladders, okay? None of y'all are an appendix. You're... You're, <laughs> I was say, you're a liver. <laughs> Somebody put that on Facebook, right? You're a liver for Jesus. You're, you're, a, you're a kidney. You're a lung. You're a, you're a calf muscle. I learned a year ago, it's a very important part of your body. I tore my calf and it betrayed me. Don't do that to the body of Christ. Show up. Be here on Sunday. Be part of a life group for crying out loud. Like, don't just show up on Sunday, shake three people's hands that you see every week when you're here and don't get to know anybody else. Man, get to know people. And and not, let's just say, let's just say though, maybe it's not even for your benefit, but what if it's for theirs? Because you bring something to the table that we need. So be here, show up, go to the events. Be the body of Christ. Number two, serve somewhere. If this is your second Sunday or more, I don't know why you're not serving yet. Now I do know why you're not serving. It's because we did not have any easy way for you to be introduced to the church and the needs of the church. But that all changes starting the first Sunday in May when we launch our life track, which is primarily focused to help you learn about the church and your place and the way that you fit into it. So that's awesome, right? But can I tell you a little secret? We did a, we did a little bit of a poll and we discovered 
that right now we have about, I want to say 12 different serve teams. We have about 50 holes in all of our serve teams because we need more people serving. We need more people serving. Show that video for me real quick if you would, Josiah. Here's the deal. If you are part of our serve team right now, you know you're doing the job of at least three people because that's how many more people we need to step up. You can go to lifehouse.info slash serve right now. Like right now. You, I want to offend me. You get your phone out. You can go right now and you can sign up to serve. You can check all the boxes. Serve in all the places. We got most, most of our people serving right now they have to serve in two, three, even four different ministries because we need people to step up so bad. I know in times of trial and it's easy to start looking inward and thinking, oh, I don't have time or I'm not, I don't have my life together enough. Listen, this life is too short and eternity too long for you to not invest your time better. What else can you do? You can start giving. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a kind of pastor who likes to talk about giving a lot because I've seen that abuse so much. But the reality is, if I don't talk to you about giving, 
I'm doing you more harm than good. If you're not tithing right now because you don't think that you have enough money, let me just, let me just tell you something. You don't have to believe it, but it's truth. It's, it's there whether or not you receive it is that if you don't tithe, the only person you are cheating is yourself. The only person that you are harming is yourself. I believe, and I believe the Bible makes it relatively clear that tithing is 10% of my income. Not five, not two. It's not a tip. It's not, it's not you know, $10 when the plate goes by. We don't have plates right now. But if we did, it's not that. It's not, you know, what, you know, it, it is, you actually do math. And you say, okay, God, I made $1,000. And so 100 of it belongs to you. Somebody asked me, so, so do I tithe on my gross or my net income? Well, can I just tell you what I do? I want to give to God before I give to the government. So I tithe on everything I get. I, 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 don't, I don't mean this boastfully because it, it's not. But I honestly feel like for me, tithing is not the end goal. It is just the place of beginning. I want to do more. I want to give more. I want to be, I want to, I want to, so, so we give to missions every single month. We support as of, to, as of this week, 28, 28 missionaries because we added one last week. You don't even know about it. I don't even tell you. I had dinner with a guy and I was like, y'all are great. They, it's called Save One. It's an organization that its primary focus is on helping prevent abortions and then ministering to moms if they've had one or have gone through that experience. It's a phenomenal organization. So our church is giving to them each and every month, whether you give to it or not. We'll, we'll let the lights turn out before we stop giving to missions. We can meet outside. How you like me now, right? Some of y'all got it. Some of y'all still confused. You can go to lifehouse.info slash give right now. And here's what I do. This is just what I do. You ain't got to do it. But, but I give online. And the reason why I give online is because I set it up as a recurring thing. And I don't want the church paying my fees. So that little button down there, it says cover, cover online giving fees. So every, every time I give, the church gets every bit of what I give. Now, I'm not, here's the deal. Like, I don't want your money. But you should want to give. Because you'll never outgive God. You'll never find yourself in want if you will be obedient and if you'll be generous. So start serving today. Sign up today. Listen, you can might can only serve once a month. That is okay. That's still better than nothing. And start giving. Start giving each and every week. Be generous. I was meeting with, with Taryn Brandon uh, about two weeks ago and we were talking about Back to Life, and if you don't know what that is, it's our, it's our outreach for back to school. We were talking about the Easter egg hunt. And you know, if, how many of you went, were at the egg hunt this past year? Are you guys okay? Am I like boring you? But you can't say yes, because that'd be so rude, right? Like, I didn't want to say anything, Pastor, but yeah, I'm kind of getting tired and hungry. Anyway, it was a phenomenal event, right? It, it, they did, didn't they do a great job leading it and putting it together? We did 5,000 eggs, and what would we spend? About $1,000? You don't know, do you? Blah, 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 blah. Something like that. And I said, all right. I said, April 2022, we're doing 20,000 eggs. We're giving away Xboxes and TVs and Playstations. We're going to get the whole community here, and we're going to love people, and we're going to show that them love in Holly Valley. Her first question was, how are we going to pay for it? Because God's people are going to be obedient. God's people are going to give because we're going to reach our community. We're going to show people the love of Jesus. Well, what if they don't come to church? I don't give a rip. That's not my goal. We're not no bait and switch organization. I want them to come to church, but them coming to church is not my job. Me showing them Jesus is my job. So start serving, start giving. You say, well, Pastor Drew, I do all those things. Good for you. 
step it up. Take it to the next level. Give more. Serve more. Do it with excellence. Get here earlier. Love harder. Give greater. For some of you, though, stepping it up really just begins with truly making Jesus not only the Savior of your life, but the Lord of your life. And following Him, not in name only, but in lifestyle. Some of you today, you need to go to our website right now, lifehouse.info slash baptisms. And you need to sign up to be baptized May 16th. Because that is part of being obedient to Jesus. It's not symbolic. It's, it's more than that. And you need to be baptized May 16th. Some of you need to be asked, you need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of you need to ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to pray and ask the Lord that the fruit of the Spirit will begin to become more and more evident in your life. And that the gifts of the Spirit will begin to overflow, not just in a Sunday morning setting, but Friday afternoon at Walmart and the checkout line. And you feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit to pray for somebody in that line. And everything in you says, oh, I don't want to do that. What if they think I'm crazy? Well, listen, you believe a man rose from the dead. You already look crazy to the world that doesn't believe. Why stop now? Why stop now? Be crazy. Just go all in with it. Either go all in or just get out. Step it up. Pray for somebody. and Watch the Holy Spirit begin to use you to speak words of affirmation and encouragement over them. As you begin to pray for them, words will come out of your mouth about them that you have. You, have, you don't know them. You have no prior knowledge of them. But the Holy Spirit knows them inside and out. He knew them before they were born. And because you are a vessel, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, He lives in you. He speaks through you. And as you begin to minister, you begin to show them the love of Jesus. Because you decide, you know, listen, I'm not satisfied with surviving. I want to invest in eternity. I want to invest in the future that I cannot see yet. I want to do more. I want to go further. I want to love greater. I want to be known for my generosity. Maybe you just need to get in your word like you never have before. Some of you right now, you struggle in your day-to-day faith because you don't have His word hidden in your heart. And you expect that everything you need will come from a Sunday morning sermon. It's kind of an old used up cliche, but you know, if you only ate once a week, you would get hungry. Now I know that some of us, myself included, that would probably be good for at least a few weeks. But as a general rule of thumb, that's not a healthy way to live, right? Can I tell you, it's not a healthy way to live as a follower of Jesus. Looking to only get fed once a week. Set aside time each day to spend in prayer. Maybe you need to step up and lead a group and just stop attending a group. Maybe you need to step up and instead of just serving on a team, say, you know what, I want to lead a team. Maybe you need to start giving to missions. Five dollars, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What can you do? How can you step it up? How can you go further? How can you invest more? Not in what you can see, but in what you can't. You guys okay with one more Bible story? It'll be, it'll be sort of quick. Thanks, Carlos. You're the only one that said yes. Well, you and Shakaya. Shakaya said yes. I don't count her, though. I'm just kidding, I do. Thank you. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. This is the New Testament church. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, everybody say, for instance. There was Joseph, 
the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, I don't know how son of encouragement comes from Barnabas. But 2,000 years ago, it made sense to them. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. I love this. He sold a field. He brought the money to the apostles. Three areas of generosity in your life. I know I've given you a lot of things, but this is a lot of a message. So your time, your talent, and your treasure. Barnabas gave his time. Now, if you don't know much about Barnabas, let me tell you very, very quickly. Barnabas was one of the first contacts the Apostle Paul, who was previously known as Saul, made, right? The, the disciples, they did not want to have anything to do with this guy who had persecuted Christians. But Barnabas said, you know what? I, I see something in him. Barnabas also accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. What about his talent? Well, he was known as the son of encouragement. So Barnabas, I'm sure, was one of those people that anytime you got to hang out with him, Shakai, you're one of those people. You are, sincerely. You're one of those people. Anytime I talk to you, I just feel better about life. That was, that was Barnabas' gift. And so he used it well. Holly, every time I get around you, same thing. You just, I don't understand everything you say. I certainly don't understand everything you text. But when I hang out with you, I just feel better. He's serving on our safety team right now. Derek Boland's in the back right now doing an incredible job protecting our kids. Come on, give it up for our safety and security team. He's not even hearing this. Some of y'all better tell him. Pastor was bragging on you. He's another one of those people, every time I hang out with him, I was like, man, I love Derek. He's so encouraging. He doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, I'm like, yeah, that's right. He had his, that was his talent, that was his skill. So he gave of it freely. And then he had his treasure. He sold a field. He didn't have any money, but he had a field. He wasn't using it. Maybe he had dreams one day. You know, I'm going to build a big house in that field. I'm going to, I'm going to, my family's going to live out there. I'm going to watch the kids play from the porch. But as he heard the gospel of Jesus and he recognized how badly people needed to hear about the life-saving power of Jesus, he thought, you know what? I don't really need that. Let's make an investment in eternity instead. So he sold a field and he gave the money to the church so that they could finance ministries and missionaries and outreaches to help people find out that they are loved and highly valued. You take Barnabas out of the picture, you get no Paul. You don't get Ephesians, Romans, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, the Corinthians, probably Hebrews. It's debatable. You get no gospel of Mark because Barnabas was the one that reached out to Mark and showed him love when Mark was struggling. Mark messed up. Mark abandoned Paul and Mark kind of, kind of became an outcast to, the, to, to Paul and his crew. But Barnabas said, you know what? He messed up. He dropped the ball, but I still believe in him. And so he came alongside Mark and they went on missions trips together and he loved Mark and now we get the gospel of Mark. So you take Barnabas out of the picture. We may not have the Paul that we know today. We may not have the Mark that we know today. And there's no telling what difference his financial contribution made 2,000 years ago. If Ronald Wayne could go back in time, I think he would have left his $800 invested and he would have a much bigger prize today. But that's the impact of compound interest. It's not about doing big things once or twice. It's about doing the small things each and every day that further and advance the kingdom of God. And here we are today still talking about the son of encouragement. There's no books in the Bible titled after him. There's no quotes that we have from him. We just know that he was there. We just know that he gave. We just know that he loved. And we just know that he cared. So, don't wish you had. Don't wish you had done more. Don't wish you had given more. Don't wish you had served more. Don't wish you had loved more. Give it all now. Don't wait for one day when you get it all together. That day will never come. 
Don't wait for one day when you've got yourself completely out of debt. Don't wait for one day when your calendar isn't bothering you anymore. Start today. Start now. Stop surviving. Start investing. Stop sitting and start serving. Stop getting and start giving. Stop settling and start striving. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Will you stand with me this morning? I know I've preached long. And I know that you may have lunch plans, but don't leave yet. Don't rush out yet. I just want to take a moment. I believe this is the word of the Lord for Lifehouse Church. April 18th, I think, 2021. I don't like preaching these kind of messages. They're not my favorite. But we need to hear it. I need to hear it. I, I really needed this for me. Because as the pastor, it's easy for me to think self-preservation for the church. No. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Christ. We're going to worship for a little longer. And I just want to encourage you to make it your prayer that the Lord would help you to see where you can start investing. Where you can start being more generous with your time, your talent, or your treasure. Not just for what we do here, but in your everyday life. Yeah, I want you to invest here. But Lord, don't just just invest here. Invest in your neighbors. Invest in the people that live down the road from you. Invest in your coworkers. Invest in people who have needs. Like, don't let this be the stopping place. Let this be the starting place. And then take it out. Amen?